Cool. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> and with that note, so I, I uh, thank you for coming. My name is Jeff Price. I ran a record label for about 20 years called Spin Art. I started a company. I helped to start. That's hyperbole. I helped eMusic raise its venture capital and their business plan when it first launched. And I launched a company called TuneCore, which I ran for about seven years. And then about three years ago, launched a company called Audium, which all this makes me feel really old at this point. So anyway, last year I ranted and raved about how songwriters and publishers were not getting paid for the interactive streams of their music. And guess what? I was right, sadly. And so in the ensuing year, it's now a lot of this has come to fruition and I'm going to show it to you and explain why and what we should do about it. Uh, the long story short, before we get into boring, <clears throat> what you might discover to be boring, uh, here you go, that's, that's the billboard article, Jeff. Uh, I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. Before I get into boring um, uh, stats and charts, here's the problem that we have. Technology companies want to build their billions off of the backs of creators. Period, end of story. Right? Uh, they want to use music to sell hardware, software, have IPOs, or sell their company. That's okay. At least it is okay with me. The problem is there's a misalignment of interest. And what I mean by that is that they don't need to make money on the music to make money. Spotify loses money every single day, but is worth $8 billion, which is about greater than the combined value of all the music creators combined. Right? Uh, Amazon loses money on music by selling Lady Gaga's new album for 99 cents, but have a market cap of $300 billion. The amount of revenue you make off of the stream could go down to zero, but doesn't impact them financially. Right? The, you, so you've got this misalignment of interest. Whereas we in the music industry, we typically generate our revenue off of the sale and use of our pre-recorded music. That's it, that's the end in and of itself. For them, you could make nothing and still make a couple billion dollars or have an IPO worth $10 billion, et cetera. So you have this misalignment of interest, which has created a really bad situation. And the really bad situation is the people that want to use the works created by artists, musicians, labels, publishers, et cetera, um, the technology industry is whining and complaining that it's too much of an inconvenience and too difficult to use your stuff to make their billions. I mean, it's literally what's going on. I can't deal with this. It's too hard to figure it out. Well, who fucking told you to use the music? I'm sorry. And it's where I get really upset, which is I'm, I'm grateful that there's new technologies and innovation, and I'm all for it, and I support it, and I think it's fantastic. But if you're going to use someone else's work, could you at least just get a license and pay them? That's it. And if you can't do it, then don't use the music. But you don't blame them. This is your responsibility. Nobody forced you to create an interactive streaming service. So. How did all this come about? And you, some of you might have read, this is from Billboard. Uh, this is some recent controversy that you may have read about in the media. So let me get into something I might have actually done last year. Who the heck knows? When there is a stream of a song on, in the United States, I'm going to make this US-centric, there are two copyrights that have to be dealt with. So for those in the room, you probably know this, but bear with me. Um, Arista Records hired Whitney Houston to sing the song, I Will Always Love You, right? Dolly Parton wrote the lyrics and the melody. So the recording of the song is owned by Sony, and the lyric and melody is owned by Dolly Parton, 
Those are your two copyrights, lyric and melody. That's called a composition. We use another word called music publishing. And over here, the recording, which is called a sound recording, uh, that is owned by Sony. Every time that sound recording streams, there are two royalties that must be paid. One for the recording of the song that goes to Sony. The second goes to Dolly, because Dolly wrote the lyric and the melody. And that's called music publishing. In order for that to happen, Spotify needs to get licenses. Hey, I'm going to use your work, Sony. You get to be Sony in this particular example. So I go to you and I get a license. You grant me a license to use your recording. I agree to pay you a certain amount of money, the way Sharky described, albeit, but at least it's a methodology, as flawed as it might be. Now they also have to get a license from Dolly Parton, who, by the way, is simultaneously three things, beyond a really smart woman that can write great songs and has a theme park. Hey, three things. She is the songwriter, because she wrote the song. She is the publisher, because she owns the copyright to her lyric and melody. And she is the publishing administrator, because she is signing the documents and collecting the money and dealing with all the crap that goes around being a songwriter and a publisher. Right, so she's these three things. Spotify has to get a license from her as well, but unlike the way it works with you, where I have to call you up, we negotiate, we have a contract, we go back and forth, the United States government has created something called a compulsory license. And the compulsory license says, you, you get to be Dolly. Dolly, up here, thank you, Dolly, uh, you don't get to say no to Spotify. You can say no, you can't. Too bad, so sad. In order for me to get a license, oy vey, it's a Jewish Dolly. So in order for me to get a license, a license from you, I have to do something which is called send a notice of intent. Hey, I intend on using his recording of your song in my service. Why would I do that? So you know, because this is how you make your money as a songwriter, as a music publisher. You can keep track of it. In order to do that, I have to send a notice of intent to you. That is under the compulsory license that you're looking at over here. If I send that notice of intent to you, I am now licensed. That comes with the responsibilities. I have to pay you a certain amount that the government dictates under a schedule that the government dictates, which by the way, if you're curious, is I have to pay you on the 20th of the month for the royalties you generated the previous month. And I have to be accurate. I have to pay you on time. And at the end of the year, I have to have a, a CPA sign off on the statements and give you a certified accounting statement. That's the requirement. If I don't want to do that, I can do what I did with Sony Records. I can enter into a direct license, pick up the phone, call you, and negotiate a deal over whatever rates we want. Right, so that's the basics of the way the licensing works. Now here's a really important distinction you all need to, to know about, and forgive me if some of you already do. These royalties that are paid to Dolly, in the, in the event as a songwriter, when a song is downloaded, I'm talking a download now, not a stream, they're called mechanical royalties. Just the terminology we use in the music industry. It dates back to, I understand, piano rolls. Sharky actually researched this, so you can talk about that later. But it's a, it's a license when the lyric and melody is reproduced. It used to be only physical had reproduction because we had wax spools, then we had vinyl records, then we moved into eight tracks and cassettes and mini discs and CDs. That's all physical. Every time one of those things was manufactured, it was a reproduction, and money was owed to Dolly under the US compulsory license, right? When you move into streams, let me stick with this, sorry. The way the money flowed is the money would come down. The money owed to Dolly had to be paid not by the digital music service, Amazon MP3 or iTunes, 
but it had to be paid by the record label or the distributor to Dolly. Right? So Whitney, if you are the record label, you're a Dolly, you get to be iTunes, the song gets downloaded, it's Whitney's recording, Whitney then has to pay you the mechanical royalty that's owed from the download. Make sense? Goes from here to here, yeah, okay. Streaming services work differently. Right? What happened is an interactive stream came into the marketplace. That was fast. Right? Interactive streams had to be defined legally. They're not physical, right? they're not vinyl. They're not a download, they're kind of like a temporary download. Or maybe they're not, or they could be whatever. So the law was expanded to encompass this concept and mechanical royalties, it was determined legally, had to be paid to Dolly. Every time there's an interactive stream of a sound recording of her song, she's supposed to get paid these mechanical royalties. Now I keep using the word interactive. Let me just define that. Pandora, non-interactive, no mechanical royalties. Think of them like radio. Spotify, interactive. There are mechanical royalties. You can start, you can stop, you can skip, you can make playlists, you can go backwards, you can go forward, do whatever the heck you want. All right, that's the difference between interactive and non-interactive. By the way, I have a short time frame here, so if I go too quickly, I apologize. And if there's something confusing or you have a question as I'm rambling, feel free to ask. So the way mechanical royalties are paid on an interactive stream from something like a Spotify or a Rhapsody or a Beats or even an Apple Music differs. They cannot give the money over to the label and the distributor to pass through over to Dolly. They have to pay themselves directly, okay? They have to pay you directly. They cannot pass it through. Yes, sir. So the question is, is, is the structure set up because that's what was negotiated between the labels and the services? And the answer is no, it's codified in section 115 of US copyright law that dictates there can be a pass-through on a download, but does not allow the pass-through on an interactive stream. It's the law. It's the way it worked out. So how many of you in here are songwriters? Have you actually written a song? Okay, and how many of you have had that song recorded? And how many of you have that recording, either yours or someone else's version of it, up on Spotify? And how many of you are getting paid on the 20th month for the streams that occurred from the previous month? One. What you've just heard is infringement and non-compliance. They are using your music to generate their $8 billion valuation. I'm going to guess they don't even have a license, so now we're dealing with infringement, which if it's willful, is subject up to $150,000 per infringement, and you're not getting paid your money off the streams of those recordings of your songs. So the question is, is sound exchange, is that the money? No, sound exchange deals with getting you paid for non-interactive streams, Pandora, in the United States for sound recordings, not for the composition, right? By the way, the amount of money you get paid for a download, mechanical royalty-wise, it's 9.1 cents. Unless it's over five minutes, then it's 1.74 cents per minute multiplied by the number of minutes moved up. So it's a penny rate, it's fixed. The amount of money you're supposed to get paid when a recording of a, your song streams is 10.5% of the service's gross revenue minus the cost of public performance divided into the number of the streams the way Sharkey previously described. Right? So if you're curious, hey, how much 
that we actually get on an interactive stream on Spotify Premium right now, point zero 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 six seven. By the way, a year and a half ago it was point zero 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 seven. A weird thing is happening, and again, it ties into Sharky. As the interactive services are generating more revenue, your per stream rates are going down. Why? Because of the math formula. More streams are happening, which are diluting the amount that you're getting paid. Right? If you had 10,000 streams in Spotify Premium in December of 2014, and you were both Sony Records and Dolly Parton, you're the same, you would have earned about $94 for 10,000 streams in January of 2014. December, 12 months later, you would have made about $72. At the same time, Spotify's revenue went from 24 million to 36 million. And I'll show you that again. So anyway, the point is, your music is being used by technology companies to sell these, to sell those, to sell uh, tablets, to sell Roku devices, to sell everything you can think of for market share, for IPOs, and they're not even getting a fucking license and paying you. And then they complain to Congress, it's too hard. It's their fault. You guys didn't make a database for me to plug into. I'm sorry, that's not our responsibility. If you wanna use our music, why don't you create a system to do the things you need to do? I, I get very angry about this and I've been fighting this for the last year and a half. The interactive streaming service want to build their fortunes on the backs of creators, but then complain that paying those creators accurately and on time is too hard to deal with. They're not getting licenses, they're not making payments, and they're not compliant. They're aware, but they do nothing to fix it. And rather than blaming the music industry for their own shortcomings, they need to invest in the necessary infrastructure to facilitate the proper procurement of licenses and accurate payments. It's not a crazy request. So let me show you some hard data over here. Actually, there's one photo. Okay, here we go. What I'm going to show you now is uh, here is a list. Spotify, specifically. Okay, what you're looking at here is the name of the performing artist. Here's the name of the song. Here's the name of the release. And here's the something called the ISRC. That's the identifier they get attached to a sound recording. This is a list of the artists that are not getting paid the royalties that they generated from the interactive streams of their songs. And it's basically the who's who of the indie world. There's a place to bury strangers, there's against me. Look at all this. Let's see, I go through here. I mean, you're gonna find Ben Queller, you're gonna find Crooked Fingers, there he went, where's Ben Queller? Grizzly Bear, Black, I mean, look at this. This is disgusting. You're gonna tell me that these sound recordings aren't streaming in your service and that's why you're not paying? No, you're not paying because you build no infrastructure to license and pay them. And until I built the goddamn systems, you weren't getting caught. It's ridiculous I had to build these systems, but here you go, I mean, this thing goes and goes and goes. We go through, look at this. I mean, I'm only in the, um, here's Crooked Fingers, I'm a big Eric Bachman fan. You know, Damon Naomi, Dot Dash, Frank, look, it's Fugazi, forgot that. Fugazi isn't getting paid. A Minor Threat's not getting paid. Galaxy 500's not getting paid. All right, well, maybe it's just not the indie artists. Okay, let's go into here. Let's go back to, I don't know, how about Bob Dylan? Right, maybe some of you are saying, well, these are covers. These are karaoke covers. These are other kids covering. No, okay, here you go. These are Bob Dylan's own sound recordings that exist in these digital music services. This is a list, a Spotify specific, of where we are not getting paid mechanical royalties on these specific sound recordings, okay? And I'm not talking just a couple. 
I think we go into the 700. I mean, you're telling me none of these streamed in your service at any point ever? Come on. And by the way, as we move down here, you'll find Jimi Hendrix all along the watchtower not being paid on. You'll find Pearl Jam, Peter, Paul, and Mary, Grateful Dead, all recording his songs, all not getting paid on. Uh, they're, they're, it's, more like a, it's more like a cavern. What I'm saying is they built no infrastructure to pay the songwriters and publishers. They built nothing. They built no infrastructure to send that notice of intent and get a license. They built nothing. They outsourced it. They outsourced it. One of the places they outsourced it to is called Harry Fox. The Harry Fox Agency, which has a wonderful name for a porn star. <laughs> okay. Now, in Spotify's defense, they hired this company who sold them a false bill of goods. Hey, hire me. I'll deal with all this for you. All right. I, do, I can at least relate to that. I can be empathetic to that. But the problem is, it's now five years later. And they know the problem persists. And they know it continues. And what have they done to change it? Nothing. Nothing. And we're at the point where now sound recordings are being pulled out of services. Now, I want to be clear with you. As you look through this list, and as you go back and you look at that billboard article that I showed you that was up here when we started, for each sound recording that embodies a composition, right? Whitney Houston singing, I Will Always Love You, as written by Dolly Parton where there isn't a license, where there was no notice of intent sent. We're not talking about not compliant. We're talking about copyright infringement. All right, if you have 4,000 sound recordings that have a composition in them, just 4,000, and there's no license, and you've notified them, which we have done for all of our clients along a lot of this stuff, that's up to $150,000 per infringement for just 4,000 sound recordings the potential legal liability just for Spotify, just for 4,000 is $400 million, right? So here's the challenge that we face. Whoops. The challenge that we face is Spotify does deserve credit, in my opinion. They helped to solve a problem of piracy. They really did. Look what they did in Sweden. They, they got people, but the problem is, how are they different than Napster? How are they different than piracy if they're using other people's works without licenses and without paying them. How is that different than piracy? Okay, they're semi-legitimate. They at least have a license from you, but not from you. Well, I guess we're halfway there. But if you're worth $8 billion and you've raised another billion in venture and private equity capital, or you're Amazon and you're worth $300 billion, or go through the list, can you at least go through the, uh, the expense of building the infrastructure to license and pay? I wanna be clear again to you as songwriters in here, your music, your songs are being used. They've been used for years since those recordings went live in that service. You haven't been paid for any of the streams of your songs. That is just not acceptable. Now the problem is under this license, I saw the time frame, uh, with this license, the burden is on you if they sent off that notice of intent. And by the way, if they don't know where you are, they can send it to the sort of the Library of Congress and their ass is covered. Now the burden is on you to figure it out you have to notify them that they're not compliant, at which point they have 30 days to fix the problem, and if they don't, and they continue to use your music, you can sue them for willful infringement. So guess what, you now have to chug through piles of big data, go through, they put the whole burden on you. I mean, to me, the whole system is backwards. Because I'm out of time, I'm gonna go over to this thing. And I just want you to see this. So what you're looking at here, 
and I'm sorry the fonts are so small. This is actual information as required to be reported under that compulsory license. So when they, they being an interactive streaming service, pay you your royalties, they have to give you certain pieces of information. What their monthly gross revenue is, how many subscribers they have, how many streams they have, and so forth. And as you look at this thing, in January of 2014, there's 24 million in monthly gross revenue for Spotify Premium. That's, that's a big deal, right? By the time we go here into March of 2015, it grew to 42.5 million. I mean, that's fantastic, that's great. As you go over here, you can begin to see the number of subscribers and so forth, but I'm gonna jump ahead to one, one little statistic. Here's how much money you're getting paid for mechanical royalties in January of 2014. 0.00071961. Barely money, but hey. Let's go all the way up to March, where the revenue increased to 42 million from 24 million, right? So here we are at 42 million, Let's go down to the mechanical royalty streaming rate. It's hard to see without my old man glasses. There we go. Look at that, it dropped. I'll hang over it over here. Can you see it? There it is. It dropped at 0.00068. So despite them having almost 100% increase in revenue, the mechanical royalty rate went down about 15, 16%. I mean, that's, that's crazy, which speaks to Again, Sharkey's model, by the way. That's happening because the math equation is being done incorrectly. And that's just wrong. Then let's move into of the money being generated. Now here's another statistic. Approximately 25 to 30% of the songwriter and publisher money, the mechanical royalties, is not being paid. 25 to 30% is not being paid. Each month, 15 to 30% of those sound recordings don't get attached to the songwriter. How is this acceptable? Why are we letting this happen? So this is what you're reading about in the press. This is what I want to change, and I want you guys to know about it because, hey, people are building significant fortunes off the backs of your work, and they're not even bothering to pay you. I think I'm out of time. Do you want to, can we do questions? Yeah. So I want to make sure we open up questions. You should come up too, Sharky. Do you want to hand a mic out into the audience? Oh, cool. Uh, well, who's we'll get there, but you're closer to the guy with the mic, so we'll do that. Um, yeah, so what's the solution? Well, are you building this infrastructure to solve this problem? Yeah. And is it up and running? And oh, yeah. So, so yes, what I did is I, I have taken a, created a catalog of every commercially released sound recording that exists on the planet digitally, gotten all the metadata, which is about 70 million songs, and when someone signs up for our service, I then create business processes to find every commercially released sound recording that exists of a composition. So for Bob Dylan along the Watchtower, there's 742 sound recordings. I have all the metadata, which includes that funny thing called an ISRC, so when the statements come in, I can audit them and go, here's the ones you're not paying on. And yeah, I can give the information back to them, and I try to. By the way, they complain that they can't do it because they don't have access to information. I've given them the fucking information for the past year and a half, and they're still not paying. Keep giving them the fucking information, then. Keep giving it to them. You know, and you know what happens? Just Nothing. So we, I got to push the, uh, the agenda. Uh, sorry, I want to make sure the mic makes it over. So assuming I guess we can kind of... We know where the money is. It's in, the, in their bank account. But uh, assuming we can slowly pressure them in this process, what do you think the backlash would be from them? Well, the backlash is having to invest in the infrastructure to pay it. I don't believe they're taking, by the way, I mean to make this non-Spotify specific. It is everybody. They're just getting picked on because they're the biggest one. 
if they're booking that money on their spreadsheets as operational income, that would be criminal. So I think both of us can agree what they're probably doing is booking that money as a liability. It sits on a spreadsheet, and actually they do want to get it out because it's probably a pain in the ass from an accounting perspective. But to get it out, they've got to build an infrastructure. They have to deal with this problem. And you're, 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 you're on a train right now towards an IPO, right? Kleiner Perkins could give a shit about any of this. They just want to return on their investment into Spotify. So they just have to be forced to sit at the table. I've been sitting at the table waiting to have the conversation. I can't have it if there's not someone sitting on the other side. But finally, I think we've gotten to the point where we're getting there. Jeff, I want to like, just jump in real quick to buttress what you're saying. I got it, Mike. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the one thing I think the industry should watch out for is there is undoubtedly a large amount of revenue that's sitting as an accrued liability on the balance sheet. What I think would be the worst case scenario is they go, well, we don't know who to pay, so we're going to divide it up according to market share. And that would be the nightmare because then they don't have to fix the problem. And th they've got a history of doing that. Yeah, they do. Yeah, and they've done that before in the past when, you know, large amounts of monies have uh, been discovered. Look at pre-72 recordings. Uh, so that's the thing I think everybody should keep an eye out for is when they start talking about splitting it up according to market share because what that means is the major rights holders will get a, uh, you know, a proportionate level of the income. But at the micro level, that, that, that emerging indie artist who probably needs it more than anybody else, the one who's selling blood to buy burritos, they're going to get totally fucked. Deb up front, if there's, go for it. Yeah, I'll hi, see you. Uh, Debbie Newman. So I have a quick, uh, first of all, I have a very quick comment, and that is that Bob Dylan is signed to CSAC for his performance rights, and CSAC just bought Harry Fox. So if um, Harry Fox has the <coughs> data problem, I will bet that CSAC will be able to collect, uh, uh, that Harry Fox will be now more likely to collect Bob Dylan monies because of the relationship with CSAC. But anyhow. I hope you're right. Um, well, we do on behalf of the mechanicals, uh, where CSAC's doing public performance. So this morning at the um, licensing panel, uh, Ron Gertz, who's the president of Music Reports, which is the competitor to Harry Fox, administers mechanical licenses for many, many big services, said that the um, match rate, basically, I guess from their standpoint, is 95%. He's not telling the truth. Okay. I mean, I have a right. I can pull up the emails so, I sent them that show the matching rates. The first well. thing I want to say is, in defense of Spotify, why is it the digital music services business to build the back end when it's not their core competency to build a back end to send out NOIs and license mechanicals? There are companies that have been built to do that, third parties like Harry Fox and MRI and others who are doing that work. So the problem is, why is the match rate? let's say at Harry Fox or at MRI or any other company, so poor. What is the problem with the ability to match the sound recording and the composition, uh, whether it's you know, ISRC and ISWCs or the lack of ISWCs? Why is the match rate so bad? And what can Harry Fox and MRI and others do to fix that as opposed to putting the blame on Spotify who have hired in good faith a company to do that for them? Well, I completely disagree with you. I think the culpability and liability specifically on Spotify's shoulders because they chose to get into this sector and make their billions of dollars off of other people's works. Therefore, they have to get licensed and make payments. Period. End of story. If they don't like the game, don't fucking play it. In regards to HFA, I but agree with you. It's every subscription service that's in the same yes, situation. Yes, every as Spotify. subscription service built no infrastructure, nothing 
to deal with this eventuality. They're busy building infrastructures to make the music experience a good one. Well, why don't they then build infrastructure to pay the rights holders? If you don't want to pay them, that's actually a different issue. They are required, if they're going to use this gentleman's work, to get a license and pay him. And if they're not going to, then don't use his works. But I disagree that the responsibility is on him to have to chase them down and say, you're using my stuff without a license. It doesn't work like that. It's the other way. I have to go to you and get the license. Now, I agree with you that HFA and Music Reports were supposed to be third-party solutions. They weren't. I give them a pass on that. But what do you do when it's half a decade later and they know this and the problem persists? Do we still say, gosh, we're really sorry that you got screwed by a third-party company that can't do the job? Or do you say, aren't you responsible for assuring that this guy gets paid and the fact that they're not doing the job and you know it is no longer an excuse? So then a new company builds a better mousetrap than Harry Fox and MRI. Why don't they just build their own thing? Why, do they, I mean, why don't they just put some of that billion dollars they raised into some form of infrastructure? I, not my problem. Well, sure, go ahead. If someone else wants to create a database, that's fine, but that doesn't remove the culpability and liability on you if you want to start a music service. Now, us as a music industry should be incentivized to make it easier, but that doesn't mean we are responsible for making it easier. It's not our legal burden. I, yes. Sorry, the woman behind you, because you've said something. Sorry. Um, At least so, that's my opinion. Uh, it, this occurs to me that, that it's one of those uh, where does the buck stop questions. And um, I, you know, I'm reminded of the click fraud that was going on with Google AdWords, where people were you know, basically making money by having robots click the ads on their pages. And that was going on for a long time, and people didn't know about it. And when I think of musicians that can't afford a burrito or whatever for them to go find a law firm, that's why we have class action suits. So I guess my question is about, um, is there a class action suit or something where uh, musicians or um, songwriters are coming together and suing collectively? Because after all this is said and done, you're owed, you're, you weren't paid 83 cents that you're owed. And so the, the, the incentive for the individual isn't necessarily going to merit paying a lawyer. And that's why we have the class action process. Yes, you're right. And what you just described is why this, why this problem is able to persist. Right? Because of that very reason, it's too cost prohibitive. So, look, I don't want to sue anybody out of existence. I just want to make the existing system work because whether I like it or not, interactive streams are here to stay. So let's get this thing working. I don't want to sue them for $5 billion in infringement, which I could on behalf of my clients. In regards to class action, you know what? It's coming unless this changes because people are beginning to get educated on this and understanding it and it's coming to the forefront and downloads are going away and streaming is the new income. And as people get information, and as some lawyers begin to get, sniff out potential uh, revenue for themselves, something's gonna happen, and it's gonna be bad. It's the other reason for my anger and frustration. It doesn't have to be like this. I've been trying for almost two years to have them sit down and work with me. I shouldn't have to come to this in order to get them just to work together. Somebody else that we, yes sir. Uh, well, just, just a suggestion for you. I'm a manager, and while I knew there was a disparity in the payments, I had no idea it was like that. Like, have you gone to Red Light and to these huge management companies and explained to them that you have data that will explain how much each one of their artists has lost in this period of time so they can go, not necessarily do a class action lawsuit, but I will tell you if you wanna get motivated and, and make sure people hear 
about this, you give it to a manager that's in charge of that person's revenue. Yeah, I mean, because the artist doesn't have the tools. Understood. Yeah. So you know what I mean? They the, don't have. They, they just man, man, burritos. So, but the, the, the it's more like it's more like you know the manager like is burritos. like, hey, like you know, I'm sick of hearing about yeah, burritos. So the answer, so I'll go is, find the, the money. Is, yes, you know? that is how you know we work for Metallica. Here's something: Metallica's own sound recordings, their very own recordings, enter Sandman, right? Uh, Master of Puppets. They've been on Spotify for years. Zero paid on mechanical royalties. Nothing. I had to go in and I had to find that. Red Hot Chili Peppers, the exact same thing. So yes, think about, so the, answer, the question is, how do they not know that? The answer is the reason you just described. Cool burritos, right? Music industry is sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We're not technology companies. Most of us in the music industry don't big, big data, no SQL databases and a cloud infrastructure in order to process big data and put business logic around it. We write Hotel California. You know, and that's the problem. If you're a successful artist, if uh, you're like a Metallica, think how long that Spotify statement is. Think how long that YouTube statement is. We're talking millions, tens of millions of lines that need to be ingested. You can even open it in Excel, right? And that's part of the problem. Just to underscore that, I, I made this same presentation at the Future uh, of Music Coalition Summit Conference uh, just a couple weeks ago. And a, a well-known artist came up to me and she said, uh, you know that part where you said Spotify takes out 30%? Thank you. I didn't know. So it's at that level where even the basic facts aren't you know, readily understood. And, and it's, it's a bit obtuse. And if you're trying to make music and trying to make art, it's hard to want to dive into this really boring world of numbers. And especially when there's not big numbers waiting for you when you figure it out. A B, right? Like you said, hey, red light, here's your twenty here's your twenty artists, here's Alicia Keys and blah 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 blah. I can tell you a dollar amount for the twenty people right here. And when I see a hundred thousand dollars, I'm gonna be like, wait a second. Then I don't have to go through the you know, we're managers, we're not mathematicians, right? So it, if you give me the bottom line of it and make it something very digestible and easy so that I can then go to other managers and say, Hey Troy, did yep. you see that this is happening? Hey, you know, because that's really where the, the movement's going to Well that's start. what we're doing. It just it takes a while to soak in. I mean, think about this. You you probably can't walk out of this room and describe how your mechanical royalty is calculated for a streaming service. Right? But here's a hard, simple bullet size number. Hundred million dollars earned not paid. Okay? There's one for you. Uh, and here's another one. We've recovered at Audium over $1 million in royalties that were generated in 2011, 12, 13, and 14, and were never paid. Right? And so it's getting out, finally beginning to get out into the, into the world. Thank you, gentlemen. Sure, thank you for the comment. I think this is the last one. So, yeah, I'm just wondering, do you think there's a business up? Oh, thank you. So, you know, it seems like there's a failure of actually making sure that these music licenses are getting paid properly. I'm wondering, do you think there's actually a business opportunity for a third party to actually start taking that on and doing that in a rigorous way? And if so, do you think, what are the barriers to actually that company's existing? Well, that's exactly what Deb's point was, that there are third, I was pointing at you, that's exactly your point. There were two third parties, there were actually four of them. There was Music Reports, Harry Fox, MediaNet, and RightsFlow. These are the four companies that existed in the United States to deal with this issue. And RightsFlow was purchased by Google. So now they're the in-house solution for Google. Google's the only interactive streaming service with Google Play that exists that have their own in-house solution. As imperfect as it might be, at least they have one. Uh, MediaNet's too small, to, uh, and I think it's perceived as too small, so it doesn't really have the market share and, and most don't get hired. Then there's Music Reports, who, by the way, is up for sale and is peddling themselves very aggressively to get bought. 
and Harry Fox, which was just bought by a performing rights organization called CSAC. So really all there's left is, is music reports. And I'm sorry, I'm gonna hit at home on this. Ron Gertz is not telling the truth. Hands down, period, he's wrong. I know that because I've been on the phone with him and the lawyers where they've admitted, the, they've admitted it and I can even pull up the data and show it. It's just, ugh. anyway, yes, there is a business opportunity. If somebody would like to create that company, I'm sure the interactive services would like the solution instantly. But if there's one not there, you don't just get to shrug your shoulders and go, fuck it, I'm gonna put up the music unlicensed anyway, which is what's happening. You might wanna mention that there are tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands of music publishers that to start from scratch is not a trivial operation. That's right. It takes years of building those databases and it is, and the splits and the stairs and all the stuff we talked it about. Is, it's you very know, complex, it's which is very why they should start business. doing it. I couldn't agree with you more. It's complicated, it's complex. There is, it's not even tens of thousands, it's probably tens of millions, which is why you need to build an infrastructure. You need the blockchain. <laughs> oh, we're out of time? Uh, I'm, told, I'm told the end, do you want, can, can you ask for a mic? I just, we have to Okay, uh, my question is, you said before that you had the list of, you know, all sound recordings of whatever, that 70 million or whatever it was, yeah. and that you had gone and identified all the songs, yeah. uh, the musical compositions to those, and, you know, apparently accurately. Where did you get that list of the, of the, of the, um, uh, of the sound recordings? Is that available for, is that available for, you know, services to go get? I just, and pulled, I just pulled it out of the... I pulled it out of the services online. Literally just went to iTunes and Spotify and through APIs and other methodologies. And then how did you um, disambiguate the different versions of the song names? You know, when you're looking at like all along the Witch Tower and all along the Watchtower and along the Watchtower and Watchtower, like how'd you? It, it, so that's the secret sauce. How do we able to, how are we able to crack the code and figure out what's what? Business practices and technology. First doing it manually. You know, here's a simple one, right? Poker Face, turns out there's a reggae song called Poker Face from the 80s. Lady Gaga's version came out in 2009. So if you happen to know the release date, of the sound recording when it was first released, you know by default that anything that predates 2009 is not gonna be a sound recording of Lady Gaga's version of Poker Face. So you can just eliminate those. That's one example of the sort of things you can do. And then ultimately there's, there's listening that has to happen either by a machine or a human being. Okay, but thank you very much. Um, thank you. Thank you.